6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapters 10 through 14. And the only way to detect folly is to walk with wisdom. So you want to examine wisdom to know where to go. Don't have to worry about examining folly. It's, it's, a, it's a losing proposition. And those who walk with wisdom, obeying the word of God, will not easily be tricked by folly. It takes time for judgment. Many people think, gee, I'm doing okay because nothing's wrong that's happened. Well, that, that's judgment eventually will catch up. What a man sows, that will he also reap. You find Galatians 6, 7 echoing all through the book of Proverbs. Satan always appears, appeals to the flesh. And uh, we don't have to develop this here. God continues to call, fortunately. But when sinners refuse to obey, they eventually become deaf to God's call. That's the scary part. Okay, some caveats. Let's, let's shift gears here a little bit. One of the things to recognize that we're going to see embodied in the book of Proverbs is a lot of experience, not simply theological dogma. Some of Proverbs' assertions work, may seem to be inappropriate for the world you and I live in. Some of these will sound kind of quaint. Well, gee, they probably work great in Solomon's day. They, they, they're not too practical in today's world. One of the reasons you may feel that way is because they may reflect the wickedness of our world. I spent 30 years in the corp, in, in public uh, boardrooms of public companies. That's been my primary executive career. And I have to tell you, I am absolutely shocked at the lack of ethics in the business world. Because even in Wall Street, where you might have had immoral men in the sense, ungodly men, they still had an ethic. My word is my bond. That's what made the financial structure of this country great for a century or more. But that's gone. The byword in the street now is so, you know, is so sue me. There'll be two guys negotiating a deal while their attorneys are suing over the previous one. That's just the way of the street today. You look at our politics. It's astonishing to see the carnal partisanship going on about our troops while we have put them in harm's way, that should be called treason. Yes, those debates should take place, but there used to be closed sessions for that, not where you're doing it for the TV cameras, because there's election year coming. Also about the Proverbs, the generalizations, we need to recognize that even in these, uh, among some of these Proverbs, there will be exceptions, and your challenge is to understand the generalizations and the exceptions, and take both into account. So there are no glib, simple answers on some of these. Now many of these, you need to recognize that the apparent injustices that are alluded to in this life 
are dealt with in other parts of the scripture and you can count on the fact that God is just and that somehow it's going to be straightened out. You need to have the confidence not in the world, but in God's ultimate rulership of that world. If there's injustice in Satan's world, no surprise. But God is in the ultimate control. Now I want to share something else, because we're about to enter a portion of the book of Proverbs that will seem like a hodgepodge. The first nine chapters had some structure and order, and I tried to lean on some of that for your uh, help, hopefully. But there's also something else I'd like to encourage you to try. See, I, when I take a book, whether it's Daniel or Isaiah or whatever, the first thing I try to do is understand how it's organized, and I try to use that structure as we teach it. When you get to something like Proverbs, it is a hodgepodge of practical little things and lofty ideas. and all, it, it, it doesn't lend itself easily to being cataloged or organized, what have you. I think that's the Holy Spirit doing it deliberately. And one of the things, one of the characteristics of the book of Proverbs, don't laugh, I'm not being flippant here, it has 31 chapters. And we have 31 days in our months, typically. And it's been long recognized by many that you can read a chapter a day that corresponds to the date. That has an advantage. If you miss a day, you don't try to go back. You've got a chapter each, each day. And we take today's date and read that chapter, okay? But I, I want you to con consider an experiment. Go get a log book. Go to a stationery store and get a, in this case, I'd probably, if you can find one, get a calendarized one, one that has 31 pages numbered, okay? And what you do is month number one, what you do is in the morning, read the chapter for that date. Take the date, whatever the date is, read that chapter in the morning to get, sort of be part of your devotions for the day. Whatever, you're going to, whatever devotions you read, great, but include chapter X for that day. You with me so far? Then at the end of the day, take your journal and go back to that chapter and highlight the verse that really meant the most to you that day. I'm, going to, I'm inferring that something happened during the day that there is a verse in that chapter that meant something special to you that day. Just annotate it. Okay? That's, you do that for a month. By the time months goes by, you've got 31 of those that you've read. For month number two, I want you to do the same thing. When you get to that page, you're now in the second month, the verse that meant the most to you that day may be a different verse. And I think if you do this for a few months, see if I'm right, I think you'll discover something very interesting. I think the day, the day's reading, is like a menu. And I think the Holy Spirit will highlight a verse that's going to be important for you that day. It might be a verse that caused you to correct your behavior a little bit on some issue. It might be an encouragement in something, some task that you need a little more resolve in. It might be, uh, I don't know what it is, but that's, that's the grand adventure. When you get to a point in your walk where you feel the day-to-day -day involvement of the Holy Spirit in what you're doing. And the book of Proverbs gives you a mechanism to do that. And I think you're in for a personal discovery that the most relevant verse 
in each of those chapters will be for that day in your life, which will be different each month. Sometimes it'll be a practical thing. Sometimes it'll be a theological. It'll be different. That's, check it out and see what you think. Well, as I say, we're now in the second major section. So this kind of thing you're going to discover is going to be uh, quite a hodgepodge going here. So let's go into chapter 10, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is, a is the heaviness of his mother. And uh, that seems pretty straightforward. What you turn out to be is going to be a, a uh, crown or baggage <laughs> for your parents. Goes on, treasures of wickedness profit nothing. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. We could preach on that for an hour, but I don't think I need to. That's pretty self-evident. The, the Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the sustenance of the wicked. Wow. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish. Boy, am I grateful for his stewardship. I'm very skeptical of my stewardship. As I look back at my life, there's very few mistakes I've missed. Okay? He, he, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. Really. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. It's interesting how often we have a supervisor that back in the cloakroom they say, boy, is he a control freak. Boy, he watches every detail. And you know, people grumble about that. And obviously some of those things can be accessed. But it's interesting, the scripture says, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. If you're going to deal... If you're responsible for resources, you want to deal with it with a tight hand. You want to be on top of your details. And uh, another prophet, throughout the Proverbs, it'll echo this in different ways. The wise shepherd knows the state of his flocks. That's a call to a good accountantship. He that becometh poor dealeth with a slack hand. It's interesting that industry is not only commended, it's commanded. It's commanded. In the Bible... Faith and laziness never mingle. The ones that are faithful are people who are not lazy. We're going to see other examples of, of that uh, throughout the book. He becometh poor that dealeth with his slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Indeed. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Solomon says this another way in Ecclesiastes. There's a time to work and there's a time to coast. There's a time for this and a time for that. There's a time to gather. That's the summer. And harvest is when everybody, all hands are to turn out and help. And that's when the, 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 the loser is found a hammock somewhere in hiding. Blessings are upon the head of the just. But violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. This could be translated a little better in the Hebrew. It's the mouth of the wicked covereth or concealeth violence for mischievous devices to be executed in due time. And uh, so blessings are upon the head of the just. You know, that reminds you of Samuel. But violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. And that should remind you of Saul. One of the things you can do, if you're going to, in your notes, as it occurs to you, as the Lord leads you, as you, sum, as you see some of these descriptions, in your margin or in your notes, pencil the people that that suggests to you. And I'm not suggesting your neighbors, particularly. They may find your notes someday. No. But uh, 
people in the Bible that exemplify these things. And uh, the contrast between Samuel on the one hand and Saul on the other is just one, one, one thing occurs. You, you can feel in others. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. The word rot there literally means worm-eaten, meaning useless and disgusting. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but the prating fool shall fall. Or the prating fool, that's the fool of lips of wicked language is what the Hebrew really says. But you get the idea. The flavor there is pretty good. He that walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. And uh, he that winketh with the eye causeth sorrow, but a prating fool shall fall. Now, winks maliciously is, is uh, an attack by innuendo, in effect. Hmm? The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but, the, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. And, uh, or the lips of the righteous shall nourish many, as the, it literally is. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Straightforward. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. And uh, Boy, uh, a number of these places... One of the names that comes to mind, strange enough, is Rehoboam. When Solomon dies, Rehoboam takes over, and his mismanagement causes the civil war that divides the house into two houses. How tragic it is, he was the son of Solomon. He was the one that Solomon was trying to instruct with these things, but he wasn't paying attention or didn't, know, didn't apply it properly. Anyway, uh, the labor of the righteous tendeth to life, but the fruit of the wicked is to sin. So that's all pretty straightforward. He is, he is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof errs. Echoing the same thoughts we've mentioned before. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. I'll come back to this one in a little bit. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. In other words, with a lot of words, you're probably not going to be short of sin. But there's a value in holding your peace. He that refraineth his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is a choice silver. The heart of the wicked is a little worth. At this point, let me pause for it. I want to ask you a question to think about. What, in your mind, is the most painful sin? If we we're going to make a list of all the kinds of sins, there's some big ones, some little ones, there's... I think, in our, at least in our mind, we, they're all sin, but some are more drastic than others. What is not the most drastic? What is the most painful sin? What sin causes more pain than any other? What sin has probably caused more pain than any other? A friend of mine that I asked that question said adultery, and that's hard to argue with. That's a toughie. But I'm going to suggest another one to, for us to consider. And it's the one that happens to be embraced by these last three verses. 
He that hideth hatred with lying lips and uttereth a slander is a fool. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is, is, cho is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is little worth. There is one of the commandments that we tend to underestimate. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. This clearly focuses on lying about our neighbor. But it may be a much broader application than just that. I'm talking about gossip. I'm talking about gossip. I think gossip is the most painful sin that we all deal in. It's a form of betrayal. It's probably accountable for more personal pain and suffering than most of us have any ability to appreciate. Common, casual, yet hurtful beyond our imagining. Quietly, behind the flurry of daily priorities, its venom does its silent work. What does it do? It undermines confidences, betraying relationships, spreading unseen injustices. You know, it's disturbing to really take count of how many of us have been injured deeply by gossip. And not just by those who are promoting the gossip, but also by those who accept without checking negative or derogatory innuendos whispered behind our backs. Astonishing. As many of you know our background, you know that Nan and I went through some pretty dark times about 15 years ago. I, went, uh, I, I, got, I was very over-aggressive in some projects, got what I deserved. We, we went through a bankruptcy. The unpardonable sin. Bankruptcy. And obviously that adjustment had a lot of implications on our lives. But I can tell you candidly, the most painful part of that whole era was the injury to us by our so-called Christian friends with whom we were suddenly um, unclean. And the, the misunderstandings and the stories that had no basis in truth that started to circulate were injurious beyond imagining. And uh, that, that, that era alone colors my perspective here. You see, what an opportunity exists when somebody has some gossip. What an opportunity to display loyalty, love, and by assuming the most charitable construction in advance, before you have any data, demonstrate the foundation of a relationship. I'm fond of telling a little story on Walter Martin. I was on his board, and during the board meetings, there was a break in the board meetings, and Walter came up to me and a couple of others that were staying around and says, do you know what Chuck Smith said last Sunday night? He was ready to disclose something that he had. To, and I stopped him right in the middle. I says, gee, Walter, what was, what was uh, Chuck's reaction when you confronted him with that? He looked at me sort of startled. And I quickly added, Walter, I know you're too biblical to be sharing that with us without having first reviewed it with Chuck. I mean, you wouldn't think of doing something like that. Now, what was Chuck's reaction? And Walter knew I had him. <laughs> he got that impish smile on his face. Didn't know quite where to turn. He said, I'm going to have trouble with you, aren't I? And we were all laughing because Walter was not. He was very diligent. He normally did not do that. 
And so that what was fun about this one is because we caught him, this wasn't characteristic. And so he, it was one of the, you sort of like catching the kid with his finger in the cookie jar, so to speak. But, uh, but how true it is, how easy it is for us to do that behind people's back. You know what the Christian version of that is? I don't want to gossip, but I want to tell you this about so-and-so that you can pray for him more specifically. You know? I'm reminded about the, uh, the three ministers that were meeting. They used to meet for lunch regularly to share and so forth. And one guy says, hey, fellas, I really I need some help. I really need prayer because I've got a real problem with pornography. I'm trying to get, I, I just need, I just need it's, it's a difficulty. I, I confess it with you. Say, so you pray for me and so forth. And the second guy says, gee, as long as you're being that candid, I'll have to tell you if you pray for me too. I've got a, I've got a problem, a pecuniary problem. I, I find myself taking a little off the offering plate now and then for this, that, and the other thing. And I've got to break myself of that. It's a form of covetousness, and I just need your help. And would you pray for me? So sure. And the third guy says, gee, I, I, I have to tell you, as long as I'm being candid, uh, my, my problem is gossip, and I can hardly wait to get out of here. <laughs> the New Testament also tells us that tongue is the ready and willing instrument to talk about our neighbor behind his back. And the injury is enormous. And uh, even Paul corrects the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you as I would, such as I would, but, and that I, shall, uh, that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. Lest there be debates and envyings and wraths and strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. And he goes on with the list. That doesn't describe any of our fellowships, I'm sure, but I thought I'd include it here. Leviticus 19.16 says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Notice the tales don't have to be untrue to be hurtful. Gossip does not have to be false to be injurious. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of the faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Proverbs 11.13, we'll get that later in Proverbs. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Proverbs 18.8. In chapter 20, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets, therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Watch out for the one that the flatterer. Watch out for the flatterer. That tells there's a weakness of character that's betraying that will turn on you before it's all over. I love these three that are in uh, Proverbs 26. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. We've all experienced that, right? But what's it really talking about? So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals and wood to a fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. There's an echo of that same perception. Remember Jesus? She, he commented on this too. Remember? Talking about the woman that caught in adultery. And this they said, tempting him that they might accuse him. Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. We all know that. This is the only occasion we, no, this is the second occasion. This is the second occasion that we find Jesus writing with his finger. Do you know that? Many people say the first, I almost said it here. This second time was in sand. The first time he wrote with his finger was in stone. In Exodus 4, or wherever, yeah, 20, Exodus 20. 
What is a true friend? One who doesn't require explanations. Think about that. One who gives the benefit of the doubt. I have people, I have friends in the ministry. Someone come up to you, you hear what so-and-so just did? I don't need to. He's my friend. Period. New paragraph. What else do you want to talk about? One who is loyal and shuns any form of betrayal. There's a, ver there's a little poem I'd like to just share with you called I Hear It Said. You'll find it in any anthology of poetry probably, American poetry. Last night my friend, he says he's my friend, came in and questioned me. I hear it said that you've done this or that. I came to ask, are these things true? A glint was in his eye of small distrust. His words were crisp and hot. He measured me with anger and flung down a little heap of facts that had come to him. I heard it said that you've done this and that. Suppose I have. And are you not my friend? And are you not my friend enough to say, if it were true, there'd be a reason in it? And if I cannot know the how and why, still I can trust you waiting for a word and, or for no word if no word ever come. Is friendship just a thing of afternoons, of pleasuring one's friend and one's dear self? Greed for sedate approval of his pace? Suspicion if he take one little turn upon the road, one flight into the air, and has not sought you for your yea or nay? No, friendship is not so. I am my own. And howsoever near my friend may draw unto my soul, there is a legend hung above a certain straight and narrow way that says, Dear my friend, ye may not enter here. I would the time has come, and it is not. When men shall rise and say, He is my friend. Has he done this? And what is that to me? Think you I have a check upon his head? Or cast a guiding rein across his neck? I'm his friend. And for that cause I walk not over close beside him, leaving still space for his silences and space for mine. Thought I'd just throw that in as it's included with the course. No problem. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store, or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.